Amen. Let's give the Lord another applause today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Great to see you. Grab your Bibles with me. We're going to be going to the book of Acts this morning. Go with me to the book of Acts found in the New Testament. Well, the summer months are upon us, and I can't think of a better way to start than with some rain on a Sunday morning, right? And that's awesome. We're so thankful to God for the rain. We're thankful for you being here this morning and braving the rain. And I uh, just want you to know, as you turn in your Bibles, there are all kinds of great things that are happening here at EVC in the summer months. We've got a VBS for our kids that's coming up here in just a few weeks, and they're going to need more helpers for that. So I encourage you to get involved. Sign your kids up. You can sign them up online. We've got Camp Dad that's coming up at Eagle Mountain Lake, and we're excited about what's happening there. And on the Friday night of Camp Dad, Everyone is going to be welcome to come out, the whole church, everybody. You don't have to be a dad. And you don't have to be, you know, one of the kids who comes along with the dads. We, we, we invite everybody out. That night, we're going to have a great meal together. We're going to baptize in Eagle Mountain Lake if you need to be baptized. This is a great opportunity and what a great memory to be able to make with, uh, with your family and with our church as you proclaim, you know, the, what Christ has done on the inside of your life. It doesn't save you, but it's just a great a great profession of what God has done in your life. And so we want to invite you to Camp Dad. That's coming up. Check your bulletin for that. We also have a team that's leaving to go to Honduras. We're excited about them going out and sharing God's love in that part of the world. We've got a, a student ministry event called 30-Hour Famine. That's coming up. Look in your bulletin for these things. What I'm trying to tell you is that we don't gear down in the summer at EVC. We just kind of keep plugging right along. And so don't just come to church. Be the church. Amen? Be the church. And so uh, we just want to invite you to join us in these things. And I want to talk to you about a healthy church. I want to talk to you. That's where we're going these, these summer months. And in no particular order are we going to say that this is specifically the highest priority. Just as God leads us, we're going to be looking at different things that comprise a healthy church. And it's going to be a spiritual checkup for us. It's going to be a spiritual checkup not only for our church corporately as a whole, but it's going to be a, as we make up, as individuals make up the church, it's going to be a good spiritual checkup for you as well. Where are you at spiritually? And this is what we want to focus in on this summer. You got to know there have been some amazing things that are happening for our church and our church's future. Let me just share some of these things with you so you kind of know what's happening with our relocation project. Uh, this past week, Pastor Randy, along with myself and a few other members of our staff, we met with... CMA, who they are our architectural firm, and we met with them and we had an incredible meeting with them. We spent the entire day with them sharing our vision with them and letting them know kind of what our church is about and what we envision and what we see happening, you know, at EVC. And they wanted to kind of capture just what our church is made up of, the DNA. What do we look like? Not what the building necessarily is going to, to be, but who are we? They wanted to really know that. And then we kind of focused in on some of the, the uh, exterior kinds of things about now what will our new structure kind of look like is that fits what our church is supposed to be about. It was a great meeting. We should have plans to be able to present to you about what our, our first structure is going to look like out there and our master plan and the different phases. And, man, it was awesome. It was really exciting. You should also know this past week we were pre-approved by by a bank already that because our finances have been in such great shape as a church and you continue just to give so generously and faithfully. I mean, right off the bat, they're very eager to do business with us and God's just blessing us in so many different ways. And that's neat. 
That's exciting. I mean, it's neat for me as a, as a founding pastor to kind of see some of those things come together. And as we prepare for some of these transitions that are imminent, as we go through that relocation process, the transitions that will be happening in our church, new locations soon, newer facilities, more space to kind of spread out a little bit, you know, and, and, and not have to deal with Lake EBC on the, 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 the just chance we might have some rain on a Sunday morning, right? But you're dealing with that. And, uh, and so not really having to deal with some of those kinds of things. I mean, those are neat things to think about, but, but here is what we really want to talk about is what is it that really makes a church alive? Is it those kinds of things that, I'm, that I just mentioned to you? Is that what a, a marker of a healthy church is, is how new its facilities are, what kind of location it is? What makes a church vibrant? What makes a church actually pleasing to God? That's really what we want to take a look at. And we want to be sure that as we go through these transitions that we don't have this mindset, well, that, well, once we kind of get there, then we'll kind of do these certain things or we're going to change, you know, who we are. No, we want to be who we are right now. We want to be everything that God has called us to be right now. And so as we look in the scripture, we want to tweak and, and really kind of uh, make adjustments where necessary to be sure that we as a church are being a biblical kind of church. What makes a church appealing to uh, the world around us that doesn't know Christ? Is it just new facilities? Is that, what, is that really what our goal is? What are markers of a healthy church? What are markers really of a healthy believer? What does that look like? And so we talked about healthy church leadership last week. We told you that we really believe that, that biblically a church is supposed to be made up of a plurality of leadership. You'll find that over and over again, that there's a plurality of leaders. And in fact, if a church is set up to where the foundation is comprised of it being mainly about one individual or even two individuals or something like that, that what you're going to find in many cases, you're going to find that it's set up for potential failure. Because individuals change. And if it's just set up for one pastor or it's set up for, for one individual who can kind of become like a celebrity pastor, that, that has a tendency in many cases to lend itself to becoming an unhealthy situation. Because here's what we know. Personalities come and go, right? Personalities change. Unfortunately, in some cases, personalities have failures and they mess up. Uh, we're not hoping that this would be the case, that we're not, we're not saying that that's what's going to happen, but I've seen it happen before in churches where there was a celebrity pastor. And the church was devastated because the foundation was all based upon one individual. Uh, and, and, and the mentality was not more of a, of a servant leader kind of mentality. It was more of a, of a CEO kind of mentality. And that's not what we find scripturally. What we find scripturally is that Jesus was this great shepherd. He was a great servant leader. He was one that would wash feet. And we as your pastors, we want to emulate that. We as the elder team that, that we're developing and that we're going to be raising up more uh, before you as we spoke more about that last week, we want to be certain that we are modeling servant leadership because as the, as the pastors and as the leaders of the church go when it comes to those kinds of things, so goes the rest of the church. Amen? And so it's imperative, it's imperative that we emulate servant leadership. The only shepherd that's unchanging is Jesus Christ. 
The only one that, that we want to be sure is our chief shepherd, the one who, who is, that, is that head over our church, is Jesus. And the rest of us, we are his servants, serving in different kinds of roles. We also know that the measure of a healthy church is not about a building. It's not about a location. There are, there are scores of churches that are in great locations, that are in nice facilities, that sit half empty. And so it's not about a building. It's not about a location. Buildings are not bad. They're not good in and of themselves. They're simply tools in our tool bag of extending God's grace out into our community. It's just kind of the location, just kind of a launching pad for a greater thing that's happening all around in your life because you are the church. The church is not limited to this structure or the next structure where we will be going. As you are out in the world, as you're out in the community, as you're in your family, as as you are in your neighborhood, in these different places, you are the church. It's not just, the building is just a place where we gather as the church. So as we go through these upcoming transitions, as we have a newer facility, as as that's happening soon, as we have a newer facilities, we have a newer location, and I just want to let you know something that might actually begin to happen, okay? And I want to prepare you for it. People might initially show up because they're curious about a new building. That happens a lot of times when never new churches start up in a new building. People are kind of curious in that community. They want to maybe know what's going on in that place, and And so the question is, what do they find whenever they go to the new building? Because nobody ever stays because of a building. Nobody stays because of a location. You're not going to hear this powerful testimony from someone that goes like this. Man, we came to this this building here. And I'm telling you, man, this building changed our life. The stained concrete floors were unbelievable. I mean, it it truly, it transformed our family. We were going down this path, and I'm telling you, I don't know how we got down this path, but once we came to the building, the building rocked our world. And I'm telling you, our lives have never been the same because of the building. We've not had to step over potholes to get to church. I mean, it's been an amazing structure that has changed our life. You're not going to hear that. That's not why people stay. They may come because they're curious. They may initially kind of check it out. They may come, and what we're hoping is that you will be inviting people, but, but the thing that, that I've been really just laboring over and I've really been praying over is what will they find? Because it's not going to be about a building. God has taught us that in our 14 years that it's never been to be about that. There's got to be so much more whenever, whenever people come. It's got to transcend a structure. It has to go beyond a location. The church has to go beyond a few personalities. Because all of those things are shifting and they're not going to impact lives eternally. We want people to see a church family that is healthy. One that follows the Bible 
as its, as its you know, um, manual for how it's supposed to function, one that's biblical, one that's alive, one that people can connect with, where they can be made better because we've been exalting Jesus and they've been get, finding out what it means to follow him. And that's really w- what we want to see happen, where they can plug into their lives into something and begin to serve others because they discover that that's what they've been created for, is to serve other people and to love other people and to, and to be Jesus to other people. The church has got to be so much more than just a building and a structure and a location. Amen? It's got to be so much more than that. We want people to see something that's going to change their life and experience something that's really going to impact their life for all eternity. And so these summer months, we're looking at healthy church and we're talking about what that looks like biblically. And we want to uh, make adjustments where we need to make adjustments. And let me even put it this way. We might even need to repent in some ways that we need to repent. Right. We need to be able to come before God and say, God, if we're doing things that are not biblical, if if maybe we've kind of gotten in our frame of mind that this is how we're going to do it, but it's not biblical, then we need to change. We need to we need to follow God's prescription for what church should look like. And so that's really what we want to do. And so I want to talk to you just kind of about one of the struggles and the difficulties that I see that that really I started noticing in a local church whenever I was a kid and I started going to church. And this isn't going to be about criticizing other churches. This isn't going to be about us pretending like we do it all right because we don't. And we also need to adjust. But I started, I started noticing something that was really prevalent in, in some of the churches that we attended whenever I was a kid. I see it still prevalent today in many churches. And, and I'm a pastor, so I feel like I can say this. I feel like many, many churches are designed for insiders only. Many churches are designed for what we're going to say today are called church people. Many churches are designed for church people. Have you noticed that? And if we're not intentionally careful, we as a church can become a church club for church people. It's really easy for that to happen. We can really turn our focus inward. It's, it's, and, 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 you know, and, and it becomes this incredible, almost impregnable uh, kind of place or organism that is almost impossible for newer people to, to come in and feel like they can become a part of or for non-believers to feel like they can come in and begin to actually kind of experience who God is. If we're not careful, the longer we've been a Christian and the longer we've been in church, do you know what we often forget? We forget how intimidating it is to come to a new church. We forget how, in, how intimidating it is to, to kind of be checking things out. And everyone else kind of maybe, they, they look like maybe they have it all together, which I would declare that we don't, okay? And we know we don't. Or they, they look like they kind of know what they're doing or whatever. But, but I, re, I was reminded of this a couple of summers ago and how scary it is to go to a new church. Um, I obviously don't get the opportunity to go to other churches because I've kind of got something I'm doing on Sunday mornings, right? And so... Um, a few summers ago, the church allotted me some sabbatical time, and it was, it was a great time for me to recharge my batteries. 
for me to, to be ministered to, for me to fill my tank up spiritually so that I can be the kind of pastor that God called me to be. And one of the things that I got to do was go around to different churches. And I got to go there and I got to experience their worship and learn different things and see what they're doing right and see some things that maybe we could do that would be better. See some things that they also were doing wrong, you know. And, and, and again, not to be critical, not going in with a critical spirit. I wanted to go in and just learn. I was hungry to see some different kinds of things and needing to see that. And, and it was good for me to be reminded. And, and look, I don't get any more church people than this. You don't get any more church person than a pastor, right? And I'm a pastor going into some of these new churches. And I'm going to tell you something. It was intimidating. It was kind of scary for me. I'm not a super extroverted kind of person, okay? And, and so I was going into some of these places, and, and, and on some of those occasions, my family was still coming to church here, and I would go to church by myself to some of these places because they like coming to EBC. That's awesome, right? Okay? And I would go to some of these places, and it was scary. I would go in and, you know, and some did a really great job of welcoming me. I, I sometimes would walk in. I wouldn't have a clue as to what I was supposed to be doing, where I was supposed to go, where I was supposed to park, you know, any of those kinds of things, when I'm supposed to stand, when I'm supposed to sit. I mean, I went in and I was just like, it was so good for me as a pastor to be reminded of what that feels like. Because the longer we are Christians and the longer we come to church, the more we kind of think that everyone kind of knows what they're supposed to do and everyone doesn't know what they're supposed to be. They don't. And so uh, some of them were really great at kind of helping me find my way and kind of making me feel like they wanted me there. And now there were others that, that didn't do a very good job of that. And I almost felt, I felt like, not almost, I felt like I was this outsider that was disturbing their insider kind of club. And that's what I kind of was, and I don't even know that it was intentional, but that's just how I ended up feeling because nobody really even noticed that I was there. I don't even really, I think that they were almost kind of like, you know, you, we're kind of talking over here, you know, and we've kind of got our thing going on and... You know, and so the longer we're a believer, we, we know where Philippians is found, right? Most of us, right? We know how to find that. And we know most of the songs, unless Danny's leading us in something new. We know kind of where to park on the street, right? We know how to get in. We know, we, even with all these different doors, kind of where we're supposed to go and how where our kids are supposed to get plugged in and how they get checked in and we know all those kinds of things. You know why? Because we're church people. We're church people. In fact, let's say it all together. We are church people. Say it with me. We are church people because we are. We're church people. And, 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 our, and, and in many cases, what, what happens in even the best of churches is that churches can start focusing their, their attention so much inward that, that they forget about people that are around them. And the problem is every once in a while, we want to invite somebody that maybe is not a church person. And then we're kind of like awakened to the fact that, oh yeah, man, maybe they don't really know what's going on around here. I'm really going to need to walk them through this. We kind of forget what it's like to not be a church person. My first experience with this was many years ago, whenever I was in high school and I was really a new believer and uh, we've been going to church for a little while now, but I had just really come to faith in Christ. And I'm telling you, Jesus changed my life. And I was going to Boswell High School, and, and I was moving from being a religious person to actually knowing what it meant to walk in relationship with God. 
And, and so I was coming alive. I mean, I was coming alive and some of my friends that I used to party with and do some things that I'm not really proud of with, you know, some of them kind of left me at that point. I didn't leave them. They kind of left me because I was different now. And, and they a lot of times felt conviction about being around me. But as they saw that this was real, they saw that I wasn't just putting on some kind of show or anything like that, but that God really was doing something significant in my life. You know what started happening? They started asking me questions. Some of them really started wanting to know what was going on with me. They wanted to, to start knowing about, about, you know, why my life was changing. And, and some of them that were maybe going through difficulties started seeing joy in my life. And they wanted to know what that was like. And, and these friends of mine, they weren't church people. Their families didn't go to church. They didn't go to church. But they were still my friends. And I was still connected with them in some kind of way. And so they started asking questions. And this is one of the coolest times of my Christian walk was whenever I was that new believer. I was so on fire for Christ. Others were starting to notice. And so I started just kind of sharing because I didn't know anything else. Just the simple gospel message of God's grace and how he changed my life. Some of them walked away from that. Others embraced it. And some of them came to faith in Christ. And I'm telling you, I started realizing maybe at this point that God was calling me into ministry in this kind of way because it was so exciting seeing people's lives that were getting changed. And, and I would just tell them about Jesus dying for them and how he loved them and how I wasn't just trying to get them to come to church or anything like that. I just wanted them to know what I had, which was a relationship with God. We didn't even hardly talk about church really at that point. And so this isn't like anti-church because obviously I believe in the church. But here is kind of what started happening. Some of them started asking me about, about church. And, and whenever we started talking about that, um, let me just tell you that the church that we were a part of at that time as a family was, and I don't know how else to put it. I'm just calling it like it is. It was, it was very legalistic. There were a lot of rules. There were a lot of a lot of kind of uh, just kind of unspoken rules and even spoken rules. And it's almost kind of like you had to have it all together before you became a part of the club. You kind of had to know what the rules were in order to kind of fit in. And so some of my friends started asking me about church and I started kind of wanting some of them to come and experience some of this, you know, as far as some of the fellowship, because some of the people that were there were amazing people. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the pastor was an amazing man of God. The, the youth pastor we had was an amazing man of God. But there was, there was such legalism that was entrenched within this church that these guys had a very difficult time doing anything other than just the legalistic kind of stuff that had become the DNA of this church. And so as I started maybe inviting some of my friends to come to this, the sense of dread started coming over me. Like, I hope that I'm not going to take them to church now and mess all this up. That's what I really started was I was fearful. I hope by taking them to my church and them kind of seeing all this stuff that it's, you know, all the extra kind of insider rules and regulations that, that I, I'm not going to end up confusing them about God's grace and confusing them about because, again, there were like these prerequisites that you had to have established in your life before you fit in, really. 
And looking back on it, even as a, a young person, even as a newer believer, I didn't know uh, all of the protocol that was supposed to happen in the church. I didn't know what many of the words were about when we were singing in the songs. I remember there was a song about raising your Ebenezer. And I remember it just going, raise your Ebenezer? What does Scrooge have to do anything with my Christian walk? I had no idea. But see, that's funny, but the reality is, is that a lot of people that aren't church people, those are the questions they're asking. What is that? And all of the these and the thous and the thines and the yees and all of that kind of stuff that was happening. And I'm talking about the church that I was in. I mean, I was, I was really struggling with that. And, I was, and, and here's the thing. The church that we were a part of was designed for church people. It was designed for church people. Anyone else that wasn't already kind of like us felt incredibly uncomfortable. They were an outsider. There was this terrible inward focus. And consequently, I can look at some of these churches today where maybe we attended whenever I was a kid. And some of them have some of the greatest locations and good facilities and, and, and in all of the Metroplex. And I just want to tell you this, and, and I'm, I'm heartbroken. I don't say this in any way with glee, but I look at it, and what I see is that many of them are barely hanging on. You know what's happened? They've grown very old, and there's nothing new happening. It's very old, it's very stale, and, and the legalism has killed whatever was maybe happening there, happening there at one point. And that breaks my heart. And I see that some of them are, inc are incredible in, in incredible locations. And, and so again, I, I, I remember one time I was trying to invite some of my, of my friends to come to a youth camp that we were going to be going to. And, uh, and, and the camp, I, I'm not anti-rules. I realize that you've got to have some rules, all right? There's going to be absolute chaos. And so this isn't anti-rules, but, but some of the rules that were for this camp that I was trying to invite my unchurched friends or my new believer friends to come to, some of the rules were like this, okay? Now, some of you are going to be like, I can't even believe those were rules, but this is what it was, okay? No shorts. And I remember trying to explain to my unchurched friends and trying to explain to, uh, to, my, uh, to my friends who were new believers why they weren't going to be able to wear shorts in the 4,000 degree weather in Texas in July. And they're going, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of on this deal, but we'll be okay. You know, we might sweat a little. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I'm going, that's a stupid rule. And, uh, and, and, and you know, and, and, and the other one that was on the actual flyer for this camp, no jewelry of any kind. God forbid jewelry happens, you know. And this one really kind of cracked me up. No rat tail haircuts, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, who's rocking the rat tail? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I had a mullet. I'm glad it wasn't no mullets or I'd have been out, okay. But it's funny because there were certain like hairstyles that were acceptable and that were not. And the bottom line is, is the whole thing was designed for you've got to all be like us before you can ever come here. And I remember trying to explain that to my friends and, and you know, in the 4,000 degree weather and, and, you know, and talking to them about their rat tails and, or, or whatever, their mullets and and, and, and we weren't church people is what the problem was. And we were struggling with this. And I remember my non-church people friends were like, nah, that's all right. I'm good. I, I don't really think I want to go to that. 
I ended up going and sweating, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know, Dana Carvey did a pretty good job of making fun of us as a church lady. He really did. And you know why it was so funny? It's because there was so much truth in the skit that he did. And, and, and you know, that, well, isn't that special? You know, and, and the idea projected is that a lot of church people are judgmental and a lot of church people are stuffy and that they can't ever have fun. And I know that's an extreme example. I know that. But, but here's the deal. We didn't stay at that church. We ended up moving along. And that's an extreme example. But, but I've been a part of some other churches that were, were kind of like that to some degree. And I, I, I remember even going to some churches that maybe didn't even quite start off that way, but things kind of started leaning that way. I also was fortunate to get to go to some other churches that, that really were intentional in extending God's grace. And that's where my relationship with God really began to flourish more as I learned more about that. They were really intentional in welcoming outsiders. And so thankfully, I got to see that also. So when we started EBC over 14 years ago, we started with the intent of, of being a place where people could just kind of come as they are, to where they can come as they are. And it's not our goal to try to like, you know, our goal is not to that we're going to change them or whatever. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes people's lives. We just want to present the gospel you know, we wanted it to be a place where people could come and not have to feel like they have to meet up to all the church people prerequisites first. The, that was the idea. That was the vision when we started. Just come as you are. Just come hear the gospel message. Come encounter uh, the living Christ. That's what we wanted. It's not about a building. It's not about, you know, a personality. It's not about anything else. We want you just to come to know who Jesus is. And I remember when we started a church, one of my friends from high school, he's probably one that I tried to get to one of those, go to the, one of those camps that I was going to. I remember he was going through one of the worst times in his life. And he had gone through a divorce and he was heartbroken and, and he, was, he was completely unchurched. And I remember reaching out to him. We connected somehow. And I remember telling him that we'd started a new church. And I just wanted him to come and just to experience it, that we would love him. And, and he was going through this divorce. He, he uh, was depressed. He had gained a lot of weight. He felt horrible about himself. And I could never get him to come to get, get to agree to come to church. I was like, just come, man. I just want to invite you. It's okay. You know, you'll, you, you'll be great. It'll be okay for you to come. And, and finally, I, I finally, I couldn't get him to come. I finally said, will you just kind of tell me what is the hang up for you? Why won't you come? And I had this kind of relationship with him. And he said, I don't have the right clothes, man. I don't have the right clothes. I don't like the way that I look. I, I, I just, you know, the church that he had grown up in was with all of this religious baggage. And he said, I feel like I need to get my life straightened out before I ever come to there. That's what he said. And I remember just going, you've got it backwards. A lot of us as churches, we've got it backwards. It needs to be the other way around. You come in, you encounter Christ. Christ is the one that cleans us up. Christ is the one that changes our lives. And, and I just wanted to say, it doesn't, I, I told him, it doesn't matter. The prerequisite for clothing is that you wear some, okay? That's what we demand, is that you wear some. Do you want to know something that I've noticed? As hard as we've tried over 14 years, and we try to be intentional, every church, I believe every church, starts having kind of this gravitational pull 
where it's easy to start focusing inward. And it can start feeling like kind of our own little club where we all kind of know each other and just kind of, you know, anybody that's coming from the outside, well, you know, if they, if they fit in with us, great. If they don't, well, you know, maybe they'll find somewhere else. And I'm not saying that we, we do that intentionally. I'm just saying that every church, I think, struggles with, with turning into church people. We struggle with this kind of mentality. If we're not careful, we can create environments that are incredibly insider-oriented that never bother us because we get used to systems around here. We get used to knowing what to do, where to go, where to sit, how to sit. You know, we get used to those kinds of things. But if we know intuitively that most of us, as we know this intuitively, that Christ didn't just come for church people, right? The scripture says this. It's one of the first verses you probably ever learned. For God so loved the what? World. Everybody. He so loved the world. He didn't just love the church people. He didn't just love the the people that know how to find Galatians. He didn't just come to love the people that know how to come in and where to sit and how to sit and how to sing. And it doesn't even mention any of that. It says God so loved the world that he loved the world and And yet without meaning to, because I don't think we do it on purpose. I just think if we're not careful, the gravitational pull of the local church is to turn to an inside focus. You know why I think it happens in churches? Because it happens in individual lives. Does it it not happen to you? It happens to me. Where I start getting so focused in on my own set of problems and my own kind of just folks that I know that I forget that God has put me here on this earth to be in the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not talking about my responsibilities as a pastor. I'm talking about as a believer that I have been reconciled to reconcile others. That, that I've been given this mission from God. And so what happens is we often start complicating the gospel. We start complicating grace. We start complicating all of these kinds of things. And now here's the good news is we're not the first generation to struggle with this. This has been going on from the very first century church, from the first church. They had a problem with this. And I want to take you to the Bible right now. As, and, and, and the rest of the time is going to be us breaking this passage down in Acts 15. I'm not going to be giving you bullet points today. I'm trusting that God is going to just unfold his word before you today and speak to you about what you need to hear. And that you'll get your message from God today. This passage gives us insights into the very first church business meeting. Let me ask you this. How how many of you have ever been to a church business meeting? Raise your hands. Okay. You've been to a church business meeting. Why do most people go to church business meetings if they're going to go? They go because there might just be a fight, right? Okay. There might be a problem. There could be a controversy. People don't go unless there's something wrong, right? Well, there was something that was going on in the early church, and there was a problem that began to emerge, and and, and, and back in the first century, the church is brand new. I mean, they, churches are being planted all over the place. New Christians are being raised up. New leaders are being raised up. The church barely even has the wrapping paper off of it. It's so brand new. And, and, and really, we just see this happening here. And this question or this problem or this issue comes up. And the first problem was this. Who is the church for? Is it for insiders only? 
you know, does God welcome all people to come to him in faith or, or are there preconditions? Are there terms that they have to come to? Is God's grace going to be enough? Is it faith alone in Christ alone? Is that going to be enough? Or, or are we going to add more to this because we think we should? Are there prerequisites that must be met before one can become a follower of Christ? Is there more needed? In the early church, there were a group of believers that were walking around and they were complicating the gospel message that Paul was preaching. And they were starting to complicate it. And and Paul was preaching God's grace. And, And the first Christians, as Pastor Randy mentioned last week, you have to remember they were Jews and they recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And some of them were were still grappling with whether or not Jesus was enough. They were still grappling with whether or not the Mosaic law still needed to be fulfilled. And so Paul and Barnabas were preaching to people who were non-Jews. They're called Gentiles. And many of these Gentiles or non-Jews were placing their faith in Christ. And new churches were popping up everywhere. And man, these were exciting times for the church. But this controversy emerges within all of this church growth. The people who are involved are people who spent time with Jesus. You've got guys like Peter who are going to speak up about this. Guys like James, who was Jesus' half-brother. You're going to hear from the Apostle Paul in this passage. And these are guys who were in on the birth of the first church, and they are dealing already with an insider focus that was emerging. Check this story out in Acts 15.1, reading the NLT today. Here's what it says. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea, these are guys who were Jews, okay, who had become Christians. Some men from Judea arrived and they began to teach the believers. Now, what are they going to teach them? Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses. Now, read the next part with me out loud. You cannot be saved. Say it with me again. You cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised. I'm not going to go into any graphic detail about that today. You can look that up for yourself. But this must have been real exciting news for these non-Jewish male believers to hear that, right? This wasn't exactly a seeker-friendly kind of issue that was happening here. Can't you imagine how that scene went down? This group was saying to these people who were new to the faith, they were saying, listen, guys, listen, unless you become like us, Unless you become circumcised, unless you have this surgical procedure, well, you just can't be one of us as an insider. Your salvation is not complete. You can't be a church person. And then I think one of them said, and isn't that special? Probably. That's what I think. Now, I imagine these Gentile, non-Jew guys One of them leaning over to the other one and saying, what did he just say? I've got to do what to my what? Are you, you know, I'm thinking that's probably what's, I don't think so. Paul didn't say anything like this, man. He didn't, what are you talking about? Now I got to let you know, we're having a newcomers class today. We are having a newcomers class today and we're going to share about EBC And we're going to invite you to come and spend some time with us over the next few weeks to discover more about what it means to be a part of EBC. And I can assure you that a surgery of any kind is not a prerequisite, okay? That's not a part unless Randy and Jerry are doing something weird I don't know about, okay? And they've not told me. But listen, these Jews who were the Christian insiders were saying, you can't have a relationship with God unless you 
become circumcised. Which meant that the new members class that they had was comprised primarily of women and small children, I'm thinking, okay? The men sat out in the car or on the donkey and were like, I don't know that I really want to become a Christian. I don't know about, this is getting kind of weird, okay? So imagine the very first church division about who is this for? What, what's going to happen here, you know? And who is this really for? Is this for us? You know, let's complicate this thing. In this case, it was for Jewish people. And so it's for people who know the law, who can live out the law, who want to sit down and they know when to sit down and when to stand up. And, and they know, you know, if you're going to become a part of this club, then you've got to become like us. And I was thinking about it like this. There's a lot of people in EDC that, that, that have tattoos, okay? And what if we just said, look, you can come here, but here's the deal. You can't become a Christian if you have tattoos. To become in a part of our club, you've got to go have all those removed. You'd be like, what? Okay, and, and, I, and I think this issue's a little worse, okay? Just saying, okay? And so... Look at verse 2. Now, these, that's what these guys have said. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with these guys who were preaching this. They disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. And I imagine the, the Gentile believers were behind Paul going, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's what he said. He said that we didn't have to do this. Now, Paul and Barnabas are, are, have been traveling in this primarily Greek-oriented culture, telling people about Jesus and inviting people to become Christians, planting churches, and, and telling them about a relationship with God because of the grace of God. And then we've got, and, and man, it's a, an exciting time for the church. And then you've got these religious people, these church people that show up and they throw this big wet blanket on this fire of God that's happening in the early church. And they put this fire of God out. And, and Paul is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We've, we've worked so hard to share the gospel with these people. And now you're going to come and tell them that it takes more than Jesus? You're going to tell them that it's not by God's grace? I mean, Paul was fighting for this and he often fought for this. Paul was going to say, no, that's not how a person gets saved. A person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not by keeping the Mosaic law. It's not by all of these different things. By the way, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul would say something like that. It's by his amazing grace that we are saved. And that's what Paul was going to say. And then Paul probably pulled his Jewish friends aside and he said, man, you're freaking people out. What are you doing? Quit saying that. So the controversy ensues, and look at this. Finally, it says, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. This church in Antioch here decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, because that's where the apostles were all gathered together. That's where many of the elders were gathered together. And, and it says this, and I think this is so interesting. As they're on their way to Jerusalem, everywhere these guys went, they were on fire for Christ. And they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers that they had, had planted churches there earlier. And they told, to, told them, much to everyone's joy, that even the Gentiles, too, were being converted. So everyone was excited about what God was doing, except for the religious people. Religious people weren't. 
was thinking about it this week. They were kind of like the, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Which, by the way, that's a, a lot of what that story is about. So Paul and Barnabas, along with a few others, journeyed to Jerusalem to meet up with these apostles and to clear up this issue and division that had come up. Do men have to have this surgery before or even after they become a Christian? Uh, what makes a person an out, who's an outsider an insider? What do we do with these people? How are we supposed to treat these people? Are they second-class Christians? Are they even Christians at all? Verse 4. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church because we do a good job of welcoming church people, including the apostles and elders. They welcomed Paul and Barnabas. They reported everything God had done through them. So, so everyone, again, was fired up. They were telling about how lives were being changed. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. And that's what you find quite often from those who can become quite religious as they become very dogmatic about certain things. And these who were the Pharisees, which I think this is interesting, that they had become believers. Why did they become believers? These are the very same ones that many of them were involved in putting Jesus on the cross and, and, and seeing that he was crucified. What happened? The resurrection happened, okay? And they saw what was going on. And, but they were bringing all of their religious baggage with them now. And they didn't know what to do with this. So they stood up and they insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So they just threw again this big wet blanket on the fire of God. They brought their religious baggage. They were now the ultimate insiders. Because, and listen, just by being a Pharisee didn't mean that you had to be this way because Paul was a Pharisee. But these guys were bringing their religious baggage and they were trying to impose it upon everybody else. And on these Gentiles, they said, and, and, and now, so these Pharisees that were all about following the law stood up and they insisted in this church business meeting, they must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. And that's what they've got to do to become insiders. They've got to go through these extra hoops to be like us. They've got to be like us because the implication is because we've got it all together. So we need them to be like us. And verse 6, so the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. And at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, he says, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news, that's gospel, hear the good news and do what? What's the word? And believe. Now, what had happened with Peter is if you go back to chapter 10 of Acts and chapter 11, you'll see that Peter was being prejudiced towards folks who were Gentiles. He had this prejudice towards them, and, and, and the Lord was going to rebuke him through a vision, and, and he was going to really just bring this about in his life. And Peter was going to share the gospel with a man named Cornelius, who was not a Jew. And now Cornelius was going to come to faith in Christ. And what Peter is going to say in verse 8 is, God knows people's hearts, and God confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. In other words, this was going to really, was going to kind of speak volumes to the Jews because they thought that, that really they, that the Holy Spirit was only for them. 
And Peter said, you remember, we begin to, we begin to see this evidence in, the, in these believers' lives that the Holy Spirit has been given to them just as it was given to us. We've seen that God loves them and He accepts them just as He does us. We've seen that God died for them through Jesus and He paid for their sins with Jesus' own blood. And what Peter is saying is, who in the world do we think we are to say that Jesus' blood and grace is not enough? Peter had to repent earlier. He was rebuked by God earlier. Peter's going to continue and look at verse 9. He's going to say this. God made no distinction between us and them. For he cleansed their hearts. Now, what does it say, church? How did he cleanse their hearts? Through what? Faith. Was it by their keeping of the law? He cleansed their hearts through faith, not by works, not by being religious, not by keeping a set of rules. And now look at what he's going to say in verse 10. So why are you now, now look at this word, challenging God? See, when you become this religious type person and you start imposing your rules that are these man-made rules and you start kind of imposing this on people, and I love verse 10, what he says is he says, you're really, you're challenging God now. Because God has said that he has called us to, to share the gospel with the world. God so loved the world. He wants everyone to hear about him. And, and now a lot of times people are like, I don't want to go to church because I don't like all the hypocrisy or anything like this. And, and now what you're going to see is that Peter's going to call this out. And so hypocrisy is nothing new. It's been going on for all of these years. And it's something that constantly has to be rebuked. And it has to be called out for what it is. And here is what he says. He says, you're challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers. Now look at how he describes it. With a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were even able to bear. He's saying, you're asking them to do something that we can't even live up to. The whole point of the law was to show us how much we needed God's grace. The whole point of the law was not so that we could live up to it and try to fulfill it by the way that we live. He's saying the reason Jesus came was to set us free from this bondage of what we feel like is self-improvement of our own. Why are you projecting this, this religious stuff on them? It's hypocritical. And this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. In fact, just look at this with me. Verse 11 we believe that we are all saved the same way. I want you to read the next part with me out loud. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Say it with me again. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Aren't you glad for that verse? Aren't you glad for that verse? Okay. What in the world just happened? Who am I talking to? Okay. We're saved by the Lord's grace, the undeserved grace. So it was really quiet in that meeting like it just was, okay? All right? It was really quiet up until that point. The meeting goes on for a little, a little while. Paul and Barnabas start sharing more of the miraculous things that God's doing in changing the lives of these outsiders. And now James is going to speak up. Now, when James spoke... It was an E.F. Hutton moment. You know what that is, right? Everybody listen. Some of you are like, I have no idea, okay? Sorry for the insider language, okay? Um, but it was this moment where everyone listened, and, 
and, and he was the half-brother of Jesus himself. He was not a believer at one point. He didn't believe in his brother at one point, but then something happened, the resurrection, and James was like, Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. So James stands, and when James speaks up, everyone listens, and he's going to say something that truly needs to be the heartbeat of any church that wants to be healthy. It needs to be the heartbeat of who we are as a church, as a healthy church, and it's the whole gist of everything I've been trying to communicate with you today. Verse 13, when they had finished, James stood, and now that's Paul and Barnabas sharing more about what God was doing among the Gentiles. James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. And they did. Peter has told you about the time that God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. He's going to start bringing out Old Testament prophecy now. He's going to bring up Amos. He's going to bring up the book of Isaiah. Everything that points to Jesus. He's going to bring it all up and listen to what he's going to say. After this conversion of Gentile, after and this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted, as it is written, verse sixteen. Afterward, this is the this is the prophecy. I will return and I will restore the fallen house of David. Who's that? That's the Jewish nation. That's the Jewish people there, who were the chosen people of God, right? And he's saying you weren't chosen by God to be an insider's club which is how many of the Jews were acting and treating anyone who was a non-Jew. He's saying, we weren't chosen for that reason by God to be this club just for ourselves. I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Now, here's the reason. So that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord. Wow. Including... The Gentiles, and all the Gentiles went, all those that I had called to be mine, James is saying, guys, we've been saved, we've been sought out by God not to be this insider club. We've we've been redeemed to redeem, right? Like we just sang. We've we've been saved, we've been picked by God, we've been chosen by God, not so we could be this exclusionary club of insiders, but that we could be his, his ambassadors, that we could be his light, that we could be the salt to the people around us that need to know the, so that we could reach out to the rest of the world that they don't have what we have yet, but they need him. And they need to know about Jesus. And they need to see that he's real in our lives. They need to see that it's true and that it's not just about coming to a place on a Sunday morning, but it's about living a faith out every single day. We've been saved to be a conduit to reach out to the rest of the world. Do you believe that, church? That's who we're called to be. God forbid we become a dead end for the gospel. That's what happens in so many occasions. He's going to go on and say, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. He's saying this isn't even anything new. We're just needing to discover it. And so my judgment is, and when he said that, that meant this is the way it's going to go. We should not, and this is our heartbeat as a church, this needs to be our heartbeat as believers, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We don't want to make it difficult. 
Those are our marching orders. It's not to be this insider's club. Your mission as a church in the first century church, it was that way and it should be this way. We should not make it difficult for those turning to God. We need to remember the grace of God in our own life. We need to remember why we started EDC. It's to reach people with the gospel that changes people's lives. Not programs, not buildings, not personalities. It's the gospel. It's God's grace. Our opinions really don't matter. James isn't telling us to water down the gospel message. He's just saying stick with the gospel and stop adding to it. He's saying present God's grace. Let God change people's lives. He's saying it's okay if people choose to reject the cross, but let's not put a whole bunch of other things in their way that causes confusion before we ever even get to the issue of the cross is what he's saying. Church, we want to be characterized as a church that is healthy, that has an environment and a culture and atmosphere, a spirit that says we're going to do everything we can to keep reaching out to people who need to know the love and the grace of Jesus. That's who we are to be. Do you know why? I want you to hear this. Because God loves the outsider. Can I share this with you? Before you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you something? You were the outsider. Are you you tracking with me today? You were the outsider. And by God's grace, He has brought you into the fold. And now you're an insider. And your insider look is not to be just at who we are but we got to realize that He's left us here to go get more. So that they, not so that we build this great big church or anything like that, but just so that people know the truth of God's grace and can be set free and know that it's not about religion, but that we want them to know they can have a real relationship with God. James is going to encourage these Gentile believers. He's going to give them some instruction. He's going to say, look, you need to, you need to maybe be a little more sensitive to your Jewish brothers. Okay, stop eating bacon sandwiches in front of them. Okay, you know, and you smell that, you know, stop doing that. He is going to talk about sexual immorality. He's going to say, you know, because that was part of the pagan practices that many of them were involved in. He's going to say, you don't need to be a part of that anymore. You're a Christian now. You, the Holy Spirit is going to start changing. He's going to make some some statements to them about that. And then verse 30, they're going to send, the church is going to send them back to Antioch. And they're going to bring a report. And we'll close it with this. The messengers went at once to Antioch where they called a general meeting of the believers. And they delivered the letter that all of these, uh, by James and Peter and all that they had said and what they declared about not making it hard, you know, to come to faith in Christ. And there was verse 31. Here it happens again. And there was great, what's the word? Joy. Don't you love that? Throughout the church. There was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. And you know what happened? All the Gentile men said, all right, I'll go to newcomers class. I'm in. I'll check it out. Male church attendants shot back up. I know some of you like writing notes and here's just one thing to write down. All right. Healthy churches are driven by 
grace and the simplicity of the gospel. Amen? That's, that's a healthy church. That it's driven by grace. It's not by programs. It's not by buildings. It's not by rules. It's not by personalities. It's the gospel. The gospel message. So my challenge for us today is that I know that we can be church people because I know I can get like that. I know that I can stop seeing things that maybe the way that an outsider might see it. And, and, and we need to be sensitive to that. Let's, let's follow the marching order of James that he gave us. Let's not make it difficult for those that are turning to God. So I want to ask you to pray with me. Healthy churches are driven by grace and the simplicity of the gospel. But churches are made up of individuals. So you say, how does this affect me personally? Well, I think what happens for me and what happens for many of us, is, as I said, we get kind of caught up in our own little world. And we forget that God saved me, not just so that I could go to heaven one day, but God saved me and he gave me a mission and he left me here on this planet. That I'm to, to be one of his ambassadors, one of his representatives so we can get wrapped up in our lives. We forget that we've been entrusted with what God calls the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to reconcile others to God. I want to just pray for us, okay? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the person that introduced Jesus to me. I thank you, Lord, that he was real. That he didn't try to make me into a church person. Lord, he just told me about the gospel. And the gospel is what changed my life. Many of us that are here today, Lord, we experience the same kind of thing where the gospel changed our life. And Lord, now we gather corporately as a church and we celebrate what you've done in our lives. Father, we want to be certain that we are growing internally in the sense that we're growing up in our faith. That we are being discipled and that we are growing to be more like Jesus. But Lord, may we also recognize that there are so many people around us that they have no clue as to what that even means. So may we just be sensitive to people around us, Lord. May you show us people that are not church people, God, and give us just an incredible passion and love for them the way that you loved us. God, help us to remember your grace in our lives. And to keep that in mind as we see others around us. Help us, Lord, to for the heartbeat of our church that's made up of these individuals that love people that don't know Jesus, that loves the non-Christian. Lord, help us, Father, to be sensitive to people as they come to this place. As we, Lord, even gather now. As we prepare for things that will be happening in the future, Lord, may we be certain that the the makeup of our church is that people can come right now as they are. And may they experience you for who you are, God. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Some of you, you maybe have never, you've never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not very clear today. We're not wanting you to become a religious person. That's not what this is about. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. He came for you just as he did for us. He's been pursuing you all of your life. He wants you to know who he is. 
call on him in faith, he will save you. You will be sealed. You will be his forever. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, just right there where you're seated. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down this aisle. You don't have to come talk to me. Right there, just alone with God, you can just call on him right now. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the Messiah. Jesus, I want to know you in relationship. Save me, Lord, by your grace. I receive this gift from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Lord, I want to learn more about what it means to follow you, but Lord, I want to start by beginning a relationship with you right now. Be my Savior. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you did all the hard work. If we believe in you, Lord, you would save us. Teach us more as believers what it means to follow you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. All God's people said, God bless.